pray together, shall we? Father, what a remarkable reality that is, that uh, you, in the form of your Son, the Lord Jesus, uh, would die for the worthless, and that would be us. Father, we are grateful for your grace, and we're grateful that even in our sinfulness, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, Father, would you just encourage our hearts this first Sunday of the new year? That we would renew our love for you, that we would renew our commitment to walking in in pace with your word and seeking your will. That we would be light in this dark world. That you would just strengthen us. We are so weak in so many ways. And so Lord, just use this time now as we look into your word and as we gather around uh, the table the bread and the cup, and remind ourselves of our great salvation in Christ. Use this time to just strengthen us and encourage us. We need it, and we want it. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to tell you that as we begin the new year, I've had a couple things rolling around in my mind and on my heart, and I felt that it would be beneficial for us to take uh, uh, three different Sundays in January and uh, just kind of um, challenge ourselves here as we cross the threshold into a new year. The word that's been on my mind that is going to translate into three messages, and we'll look at today as laying a groundwork for those messages, setting the tone and giving us a mental biblical framework, the word is urgency. Urgency. Now, what I'm not talking about is this. All right? That is um, an extreme case of urgency. I'm not talking about being in a panic. And when I say urgency today, I'm not talking about being stressed out. When I say urgency today, I'm not talking about living um, a marginless life. When I say living with urgency today, I do not mean that your life is an explosion. Um, But I want us to think carefully and critically about how living with urgency is a very biblical concept. In fact, our outline today is quite simple, and I would like us to begin as we um, take a look at this uh, concept that uh, living with a sense of urgency is very biblical. What I am talking about is I'm talking about attacking complacency. I'm talking about defining our priorities so that we live with intention. And purpose. I'm talking about being thoughtful about our opportunities. I'm talking about laying up treasure in heaven. I'm talking about not wasting our lives. And I think that you'll agree with me as we study the word together for a few minutes that this sense of urgency comes through in a variety of ways in Scripture and in very specific ways in the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. And the first thing I would like us to do this morning is to recognize that, number one, living with a sense of urgency is biblical. Living with a sense of urgency is biblical. 
We're going to look at a couple very familiar passages to begin with on this, and that is to begin with 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Would you turn there with me in your Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I think you'll recognize these verses even if you don't recognize the passage. You need to know that the Apostle Paul, like many of you in this room, was evidently a great sports fan. Because in his writing and coming through in the illustrations with which he writes, he often referenced some of the athletic events of his day. You need to know that uh, in Corinth, they held um, an Olympic-like game called the Isthmian Games. And, uh, you know, it included track and field events and wrestling and feats of strength. There was a lot of training going on. These athletes were well-known Uh, It was common in their language. It was common in their everyday conversation, just like for us to talk about football or basketball. And so the Apostle Paul, in his writing, you pick up on this. And this is one of the most um, well-known passages where he uses this idea of a race. He's also going to slip in his metaphor usage and he's going to start talking about boxing in the middle of talking about racing you need to know that as we jump into the middle of this passage, what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is being the most effective minister for the gospel that he could be. That basically what he's saying in the passage, that I will become all things to all men. I will do whatever it takes to be used of God for the gospel to point people to Christ. That's the way he's talking. As we jump into it, I want you to look at verse 24. He begins with a question. And he says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Now look at the next line. So run that you may obtain it. Do you have a, does the word urgency fit there? I think it does. I ran cross country when I was in high school. Um, The only reason I ran cross country is because my dad forbid me to play football. And I hated every step of every mile in cross country, but it was very good for me. And uh, often in our races, especially invitational races, there would be at the starting line dozens, even upwards of the biggest part of a hundred guys, depending on how many teams and how big the teams were at the invitational. And when the gun would go off and we would take off back then on our three mile races, you understood one thing. There was only one guy was going to cross first. And of that whole mob of guys taken off, I mean, some of us understood our limitations. But if you were in training and and you were part of the team and you were a varsity level runner, what were you trying to do? You were trying to run in such a way as to win. With intent, with urgency. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He said, this Christian life is like a race. You need to, you need to, to enter into it As though you're trying to be the front runner. There's some intensity there in the language. Every athlete, verse 25, exercises self-control in all things. That doesn't sound like laziness, does it? That doesn't sound like being some kind of a Christian slug. That That is a word of urgency. You discipline yourself. Discipline is not an easy thing. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. 
He's talking about something that everybody in his audience would have understood. And this crown of ivy that would be placed on their head that would indicate what a great athlete they were. And when you stop and think about it, it's like, so for that? You know, it's the same thing in our culture. Guys hold up a big Stanley Cup and kiss it. But it's only good for a few minutes. It really doesn't last. I mean, who's paying attention to hockey anyway? I know, there's a few of you. He's saying, but they do that for a perishable crown. I hang my hats, my ball caps, and my hats that I put on to go out to my wood stove on a huge trophy won by one of the softball teams here somewhere along the line in my garage, and it has fallen down several times. Nobody cares about that trophy that everybody plays. I think it's a third place anyway. <laughs> That's a perishable. It's, it's so immediate. And look at the intensity with which people will pour in their lives for this moment. And Paul's contrast is, but we do this for an imperishable crown. That's an eternal perspective. Listen, the idea here is you've got to take this stuff seriously. So I do not run aimlessly. Now, here's where he's going to get his metaphors mixed up. I do not box as one beating the air. Now, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it's exactly the right metaphor. I do not box as one beating the air. I'm not shadow boxing or hitting a speed bag or punching a big heavy bag. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Is there anything complacent about that passage? It is absolutely given over to a sense of intensity. That's the urgency I'm looking for. You see that come through in the Apostle Paul's writing. I think it's very sobering to read verse 27. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself may be disqualified. You know, if the Apostle Paul worried about himself and living out what he preached and finishing well in his old age, how much more should I, how much more should we care about finishing well? We see this language reflected in another very uh, familiar passage. It's Philippians chapter 3. Would you flip there, please? Philippians chapter 3 in your Bibles to uh, verses 13 and 14. I mean, notice the language that the Apostle Paul is using here. He says, um, starting with verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3, Not that I have already obtained this, um, that is, knowing Christ the power of his resurrection, the sufferings in his death, having a high level of relationship with Christ. Not that I've already obtained all this, Paul says, or am already perfect, but look at the language. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And look at the next word. And ESV uses the word straining forward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you feel the urgency in Paul? Do you sense the idea that he is, he is, this is something that he's paying attention to. That he would conform to the image of Christ. That he would be growing in godliness. 
and that there is a, a strain. The idea in verse 12 of to press on is the idea of running or following after something in a very aggressive manner. I press on. If a guy's got a ball and he's running down a field and it's your job to go get him and tackle him, that's the word that Paul's using here. To run after in a very aggressive manner, I press on towards this thing. Listen, there is nothing, there is nothing lazy about the Christian life when it comes to understanding what the Apostle Paul's talking about. And we see this language throughout our New Testament, really, that we are to live the Christian life with a focused sense of appropriate urgency. It's just biblical. That's how we're supposed to live. So this is not like a brand new concept. This is how we're supposed to live. But here's my concern. Here's why these messages. We're beginning to get to be a strong church. And we have a lot. And we do a lot. And when you're strong, you tend to quit working out. You start to get fat. And when you get fat, you get complacent. And I'm telling you that I'm worried, in an appropriate sense, worried about our church and our pastor and our staff, that we never become complacent. That we stay, that we stay in the pursuit of Christ Pressing on as a church with a sense of urgency. I want to tell you that not only is it biblical, number one, to live with a sense of urgency, but number two, living with a sense of urgency must be intentional. To make this point briefly, I just want to turn to Psalm 90. The point is made easily and uh, very quickly understandable in the psalmist language in Psalm 90, verses 10 and 12. Living with a sense of urgency must be intentional. Psalm 90, verses 10 and 12. Look what the psalmist says here. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. Notice the next line. And they are soon gone. I think everybody about 47, 48 years of age in this audience and up understands exactly what's going on here. The rest might not quite. If you're under 40 or in your early 40s, you still might think that life is long. When you get to be about 47, 48, you realize how close 50 is, and then it dawns on you how close 60 is, and then it's 70, and then you're dead. (laughs) So you think, wow, how did it get to be that I'm in my mid-50s, have gray hair, and three grandkids. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that life is short and that time is a very fleeting commodity. Now notice what he says in verse 12. So therefore, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And I think one of the natural responses to the phrase, teach me to number my days, is to look back up at verse 10 and to think to myself, all right, if 70 is kind of the normal lifespan, and you've heard me say this before, if you take the obituary in the Martinsburg Journal or any other paper, and you throw out the high number and you throw out the low number and you average the rest, guess where you're going to come in within a few... 68 to 72 every time. 
throughout the high number, throughout the low number, and, and average out the age in the obituary, and it's 70, man. So one of the things you're supposed to do when you number your days is to look and see what he says. Well, apart from God's blessing and giving me extra strength, all right, let's start doing the math, people. Where am I in relation to 70? 14 years for me. I've been at fellowship 20 years, and it seems like four. So that's how you're supposed to, okay, so now am I supposed to live a complacent life? So now am I supposed to just kind of float down the river? You see what the psalmist is saying here? That with a, with a very intentional mindset, you had better live with a sense of urgency because your days are fleeting. One of the lessons, practically speaking, is don't say things every day that wishes your life away. Try to make the most of every day, right? John MacArthur, in his notes in his study Bible, talks about that phrase in verse 12, teach us to number our days. He says that it means to evaluate the use of our time in light of the brevity of life. I think that's a good word. In light of the brevity of life, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I, am I just frittering away this time on this earth with meaningless, haphazard living? Or am I focused? Am I pressing on? Is there a sense of urgency? And, and what does it mean to live like that? And how is God going to use me in 2016 with intentional, urgent living? Remember, I don't mean being stressed out. I don't mean being like in a flurry of feathers, just surviving. I'm talking about a mindset, though, that intentionally lives with an urgency towards the priorities of my life. I want you to see, finally, number three, that this is critical. It's biblical. It must be done with intention. It's intentional. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, will you look there quickly? Ephesians chapter 5 Notice what the Apostle Paul, we're back to the Apostle Paul. It fits to go to Ephesians 5 from Psalm 90 because in Psalm 90, it talks about the brevity of life. It talks about teaching me to number my days. And the Apostle Paul is going to talk about the brevity of time or the lateness of the hour in a sense. And and this is critical for us to understand. Notice what he says in Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. Look Carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And the King James, uh, in, in some of you who grew up with that, remember that this passage said, walk circumspectly. That's a cool word, isn't it? Circumspectly. Whatever that means. I remember one of my Bible teachers in Bible college in Pauline Epistles class gave an illustration for that verse, and I happen to remember it. He said, to walk circumspectly is the picture of a kitty cat who's walking on the top rail of a fence, and he's got two big German shepherds down on each side of the fence walking, trying to get a chance at him. And he's walking through their backyard on top of the fence, just out of their reach. That cat is walking circumspectly. So whatever circumspectly means, it's what that cat's doing on top of the fence to stay away from the dog. It means he knows where he's going, he's not messing around, and he's not going to fool around in the meantime. He's going to be as wise as he knows how to navigate through this. To walk circumspectly, 
Be carefully. Look carefully. That's what circumspectly means. Very careful. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Does anybody want to argue with Paul? Now, we don't have time to build a case for how wicked Ephesus was and how rotten the day was then. History does tend to repeat itself. We're entering an era of time that history has seen before of incredible baseness. And it's to be a reminder that at the end of time, that is God's clock, and as we wait His return, things will get worse and worse. And the days are dark. And one of Paul's motives for us living with a sense of urgency is simply the sinfulness of the time in which we live. And time is short. And we must let our lights shine. Now we're just preparing our mindset here. We'll have a couple more messages that I trust will help us practically live with a sense of urgency. And I wanted to lay a groundwork to, that you would buy into the concept. It's biblical. Life is short and brief. Be intentional. And it's critical because of the darkness of the day. It is critical that Fellowship Bible Church not waste itself with complacency or the things that don't matter, but that we be driven by the priorities that come from God's Word, that we be as effective as we know how, that heads of households, that we live Away from laziness, away from complacency, away from slovenliness, and we're more focused. How are we going to live in 2016? I don't know what you have to deal with in your life. I don't know what it takes for you to be who God wants you to be. I just know you better care about it. And you better start asking God, Lord, show me how to live with this urgency that I not waste my life. Three questions for evaluating and defining the level of urgency with which I live. Number one, if an audit or inventory were to be made of my Christian life, would anyone conclude in their findings that I am running in a race? If someone were to audit or scrutinize my Christianity Would the phrase, running in a race, come to their mind in their evaluation? If not, why not? Secondly, am I living with a sense of how quickly life goes by? Or do I live with the mindset that there is plenty of time later? Listen, we don't know how much time we're going to have for the opportunities that are at hand. How much change is going to occur occur in 2016? I have no idea. What might be number three, two or three things that the Lord would have me accomplish early on in 2016 that I've been putting off? You look at the chalkboard. If not us, who? When it comes to carrying the light of the gospel in our community and in Jefferson County, in our neighborhoods, Don't you think that Fellowship Bible Church has as great a responsibility as anybody in Jefferson County? Who has been blessed more than we? If not us, who? You don't wait for someone else to accomplish whatever it is that God has for us. 
If not now, when? How much time do you think we have? We're still blessed with an orderly society. We're still blessed with an incredible amount of freedom. Let's, let's number our days as a church. Let's live with a sense of urgency. I think that a great place to begin is by heart evaluation with the Lord's Supper, this communion. Here's what we do at fellowship. The men will serve us while we sing a hymn here in a moment. And they're going to give us a broken piece of cracker bread. It's unleavened bread. And it's going to represent the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to ask ourselves, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? What is my relationship like with God? What is my relationship like with my fellow man? Am I right with God? It's a time to sit quietly. It's a time to sit with a bowed head. It's a time to ask God to do a work in my life. We'll hold the broken bread together after we're served. And then we will partake together. This is a direct command from our Lord Jesus who told us to regularly, to regularly partake together of the broken bread and the cup as reminders of his body and his blood that were broken and shed for our salvation. By the way, you do not have to be a member of Fellowship Bible Church to partake of communion. You need to only be a member of the body of Christ. That means you've been to the cross. That means that you know you're a sinner and you know you needed a Savior and you know that at the cross, Jesus paid the price for your sin and was your substitute and your faith and trust is in Christ alone for your salvation. That's what makes you a Christian. That's what makes you a child of God. Now let's bow our heads, shall we? Um, Actually, we're going to close in prayer right now. Just briefly pray, and then we're going to raise our heads, and we're going to sing together a communion hymn, and the men will serve us the bread. And let's use this time to just uh, scrutinize our lives and let the Lord speak to us. And so, Father, we thank you for the challenge of your word. Father, would you please help us to live with an appropriate sense of urgency for the gospel, for living up to our capacities, for not wasting opportunity, for living out our giftedness, for taking the blessings that you've poured out upon us and using them as good stewards, as your servants. Father, would you help us to begin by just looking inward this morning making sure there's no unconfessed sin, making sure we're in a position where you can speak to us and you can use us. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.